0: to be totally honest with you, we don't have that. We have certain communities that think they're sort of very tolerant, but if you if you really dive into it, a lot of it is, is the opposite. It's almost psychological fear. We can be tolerant as long as we stay in the bounds of this, and then as soon as we violate those bounds, we shove you out of the community.
1: Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek, We bring you leaders acting on their environmental values because too many people told me, I want to act, but if others don't, then what I do won't matter. We're here to make it obvious that you're not alone. You're part of a global community, a majority. Also, too many people told me, doing small things doesn't make enough of a difference and big things take too much work. Action matters more than the size you start with. You'll hear how action motivates guests from small things to doing big things. You won't find guilt, blame, doom, gloom, or telling people what to do. You will find leading without relying on authority, which brings what I found missing from acting on environmental values. Joy, discovery, growth, community, meaning, purpose, value, sharing. With global demand for environmental action, I bet you'll see that acting on your values doesn't distract from your life and career. Follow in these leaders' footsteps, and beyond enjoying the environment, I bet you'll see promotions, raises, more loyalty and trust in your relationships, and more. For David Berkus' second conversation, we spent a lot more time talking about leadership more than environment. Of course, we talked about environment too, but his book, Friend of a Friend, just came out. And so we talked a lot about networks, how networks work, what networks are, problems that happen if you're not aware of these things, how you can avoid them or get out of them if they happen. I'll let David talk more about that, but he shares what can happen if you're not aware of your network and if you're not working it effectively. This was news to me. You know, I grew up not particularly strong in networking. And so this is, I found it very useful. I hope you do too. Of course, naturally, we also spoke about cold showers. That was his challenge that he acted on environmentally. And you'll get two views because he had the one that I think is more common, which was mine before, which is, ah, they're not pleasant. I shared a bunch more that people who know me a lot or read my stuff on cold showers, they'll have heard before, but I think it's valuable to hear that stuff again. Let's take it away with David. Leadership, environment, cold showers, burpees. Here we go. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Josh. I'm here with David Burkus.
0: David, how are you doing? I'm good. Life is good. We've had a. It's been a fun couple of weeks. I mean, I guess it's been what, like five weeks since we. I shouldn't say it's been a fun couple of weeks. Actually, um, it's been a fun last week because I got done with my month of cold showers. And so now it's more enjoyable than it was yeah, so, in the last couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, cold showers, not easy. It's not. So I, I'll tell you my, my strategy. I read a lot of the articles that you sent over. And so my strategy was to sort of ease into it. Um, and so there's this a uh, type of cop out for a cold shower called a cold finish. You're familiar with these I presume that's it's, a hot shower it, and then you just make it cold. Yeah, it's, ba- it's basically for the last like 30 seconds, right? You you get done and then you waste water because for the last 30 seconds, you just expose yourself to right back to the cold water. And it's, you know, the same as sort of the plunge or, or what have you. It doesn't go for the whole time. So I, I did that for about a week and then that helped sort of gradually turn it down. But I, I mean, I have to tell you, it's awful. Um, there's a, <laughs> there's, a, there's a re- I mean, it, yeah. Okay. Yes. You feel invigorated. You probably need less caffeine throughout the day. Um, et cetera. But like, it's aw- like, I've done like the whole polar bear thing too, where you jump into the water, um, on January 1st, you know, in it, presumably in a place where it's actually cold water. Cause if you do that in Florida, it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've done that. And that was, that was pretty awful, but that was like the shock. The weird thing is like your, your initial reaction is to jump out, but then mm-hmm. you know, you can't because that's not going to help. Right. And so, um, so yeah, it was. I'm sure the after effects are, are super uh, enlivening, but it's kind of like you. Know, I don't know. To me, it was sort of like if I told you you could replace all of the need for caffeine in your life by shocking yourself with a taser. Um, that might be true, but man, that would suck, right? So <laughs> this was. So this was sort of like that. Now I, I will say one interesting thing I noticed um, happened, which is. So I don't know how to visually describe it. So my shower is not a knob; it's a handle, right? And if you and the and the off position is basically 90 degrees, right? So, like, if you're thinking of a compass, it's due east, uh-huh. right? And the hot, like, when to, to be hot enough to where I would have considered it to be tolerable was about you know 90 degrees or, or, or to the left of that, straight zero due north, right? You, you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So, you turn it to the left about 90 degrees due north. Um, that would be about acceptable hot. Now I find, especially if it's like post um, exercise around only about a 45 degree turn is sufficient. So it's definitely colder than it was, right? But it's also you know tolerable. It's not a shocking level of cold. So I would say that I, as a result of the challenge, I'm taking a colder average shower. Um, I still wouldn't call it a cold shower because a cold shower would be like one degree of openness because when, right when you open the valve is when it's just pure sort of coming in. There's not mixed with any heated water whatsoever. So, you know, I'm taking a colder shower, but I have, for all intents and purposes, abandoned the super cold shower. <laughs> man, it's awful. It sounds like uh,
1: I'm, I'm in the middle of a salt challenge where I haven't added salt once or twice. I've done it, but it's like, I'm not adding salt to stuff because I read that it doesn't take long for your taste buds to adjust or de-adjust to over-salting. And yeah. It's, it's totally the case. Like flavors are coming out that never came out before. I'm definitely going to put salt back into my food eventually because I do like the taste of it, but not like I used to. I, I put in, I put a little bit of soy sauce on something. Uh, maybe it was a couple weeks ago. and I was like, wow, this is one
0: salty and two so flavorful. So mm-hmm you might be getting something like that, that the, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's probably true. Yeah. 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 I think it's totally that way. And now I think I, you know, I'm not going to go back to the same level. So if, if for the, from the environmental end, like we're still using less energy because there's less energy to heat that water and what have you. And so I don't feel like I need, uh, as hot, but I you definitely, I don't, I feel like you definitely need a little, right. And I live in a was, warm climate too. That's what's funny. You picked this challenge. What was, what was the value behind it for you? Uh, I mean, so to me, I was I was interested in it because I uh, I knew I was coming on your show and I knew you do challenges and I needed to find something. I, I I have a very interesting perspective. I live in a more rural um, area. I mean, I live in a city of a million people, but there's also land readily available. And I think, ironically, though it's an oil state, I think it's a people that's a little bit more in touch with nature and that sort of stuff. Except in areas where energy is plentiful, and so heating and cool, like our heating bills are ridiculously low in the winter. And our cooling bills are ridiculously low in the summer because energy is so cheap. And so I was like, all right, we've got to do something with sort of energy. Um, I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. So the idea of like trying to do less with lighting and that sort of stuff is never going to work because I can't keep track of how many lights they're leaving on in the house and all that sort of stuff. So then it was like, okay, well, there's that one. And then truthfully, because it was you, I also know all of your work around morning routines and all of that sort of stuff. So I thought, okay, it should probably be something in the morning. And that's when it kind of hit me. I don't remember if I had been exposed before our conversation to something you specifically talked about mm-hmm. with cold showers, but certainly something you shared, et cetera. Um, in talking about your morning routine. So talking about the term challenge, you know, when I was interviewing Frances Hesselbein, I was
1: in her office and I could see that she'd written some notes out to prepare and she had written, not challenge, opportunity. Hmm. And she was looking at all these things as opportunities for doing things. And and since then, every time, almost every time I use the word challenge, I've, I've made a habit of it. See, I think I talk to a lot of people who look forward to taking on challenges. So I think for that community, challenges, like, yeah, bring it on. I, I love challenges. But I think it does make it sound like it's something hard or something you don't want to do. And maybe opportunity is something,
0: maybe that would have led you in a different direction. Maybe, maybe. I Part of it, too, is I come from, so for the last almost 12 years... I've trained in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and our the owner of our gym, our our um, head instructor, all of that, is a former Marine Corps drill instructor. And so he loved, from the Marine Corps time, he loves the phrase, embrace the suck. Uh-huh. And so when I think challenge, I think embrace, it's like it has to be something, you have to feel something when you do it. Like, and it, in coming out at the, the ultimate, the, the perfect to me ch- definition of challenge is something that when you're standing on the front end, you're like, oh, this is gonna be awful. And on the back end, you're like, that wasn't so bad. And I found this thing out about myself or what have you, right? Yeah, but the idea of like, this is going to be easy and doable. And I've been meaning to do it anyway. That's a new year's resolution. That's not a challenge.
1: Yeah. That's what goal of this. That's why I try to start from the person's, what their values are, what, what they value, because then they're doing it for themselves, not for me or not because of some opportunity. So a lot of people, they use this as something. It's kind of what you're saying, but maybe slightly different because they're like, this is something I've meant to do for a long time. I haven't been doing it. I do want to do it. And finally, I'll get the chance to start. So like a lot of people, if, they're, if they want to bring disposable, uh, non, a mug with them to the coffee shop, or they want to eat less meat and they've been meaning to, you could say it's a resolution. I think for a lot of people, it's like they needed something to catalyze the, uh, the behavior that they want to do. And knowing that afterward, yeah, the challenge part is like doing, but once you experience it, they expect that the experience will stick and that they'll be, they'll be in a stable long-term, like for me, with the non-packaged food. I didn't know that it would happen this way, but this is my model is that I know that it's going to be hard to make the change, but I know that once I make the change, I want to, I'll want to stay with it. So food, it's, it's not hard for me at all to avoid Ben and Jerry's now. It's not appetizing to me. I, I would not ever have expected me to say that because I ate a lot of ice cream and I couldn't stop myself from eating ice cream actually for a long time. I was like, stop getting it. And then I buy it. And then I'd feel bad and I'd eat it and I'd feel good while I was eating it. And I'd feel bad after eating it. I was like, damn it. I was trying not to do that. Yeah. I think maybe if it was starting with just, I'll do something that Josh is into, then I feel like you're doing it for me.
0: Well, I am doing it for you because I'm on your show. I mean, I, I, it was important that I found something for me that was like, that I knew there would be a benefit from making that change, but like, so, all right, so, so here, so I'm going to dive into a concept from the book, right? Uh There's this concept from the book that you're, you're influenced by not just the people around you, but even three degrees out, right? So your, your friends, like we've, we've seen this in longitudinal studies over like 30 years, your friends make you fat, but so do their friends and so do their friends and Mm -hmm. smoking rates are the same way. Happiness is the same way, what have you we don't have a good explanation for why it happens, but it's statistically significant. It's seen over longitudinal. So it's not just a coincidence. It's not that these people, that misery loves company or that, I don't know, success loves company, whatever. It's, it's seen as this longitudinal thing. What that tells me, and I think the best explanation, though it has yet to be sort of proven beyond reasonable doubt, the best explanation is that it has to do with norms. What's the normal range of human behavior, right? And we take our cues off of that. Right. And so whatever is the normal. So if you're, if you're running around in a family that is only ever using mugs at coffee shops instead of paper cups, right. Mm -hmm. That your norm is going to be different than my norm. Right. What I loved to me about this opportunity and this challenge, what have you, is that we live in very different communities with very different needs. When you say environmental, et cetera, we think very, very different things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so the idea is if I could find uh, my, when I was looking for a challenge, I went looking to learn a little bit more about your world. Morning routines are really powerful in your world. The idea that some of them establish health benefits are powerful in your world. Um, you, you, you know, you said, don't, don't attach it to climate change. Cause everybody always does. Um, well, you but, don't have to, I right. You don't have, yeah. but, but like that was, that's a part, that's a thing that you're paying attention to a lot of. So I went looking for something that would fall inside the realm of your norms. I, I knew that I had found the right challenge when i said it and you got really excited i was not excited about it at all but oh, my goal yeah, was, uh-huh. was, hey he's got different norms than i do and so i want my challenge to be in that warehouse so i can better sort of understand it you know what i mean now this reminds me of
1: something that i learned in business school about networks and how you can run into groupthink and stuff like that and one of the things that i learned was that and i think this is what your research is going to show in more depth and i can't remember the details but it said that um the more diverse your group in, say, trying to make a decision in business, you know, the more diverse your team is, the greater chances of a, the the better outcome is, your outcome is going to be, but also the greater chance of of people getting into arguments. And my big takeaway was that one of the most important skills to learn for teamwork is conflict resolution, conflict management. Because I think the more, I mean, if you have a very diverse group, people are going to say stuff, some people are going to misunderstand, and you're going to get arguments. And arguments lead to often, not necessarily, but often lead to anger and things that make it difficult to coordinate. And I think as a leader, one of the main things to do is you don't have to necessarily run the show, but have to make sure that things don't go off the rails.
0: Yeah. Um, so it's not something we dove into too much into the the book, um, but I've seen that research. And I think, you know, it's, I, don't, I didn't look at it as conflict resolution. I've always seen it as you know, as a as a team leader, what your goal should be is to have uh, the most diverse team as possible, while still being in the bounds of psychological safety. Right, Amy Edmondson's <laughs> idea of psychological that people feel. And and truthfully, right now, we, uh, to be totally honest with you, we don't have that. We have certain communities that think they're sort of very tolerant, but if you if you really dive into it, a lot of it is is the opposite. It's almost psychological fear. We can be tolerant as long as we stay in the bounds of this. And then as soon as we violate those bounds, we shove you out of the community, right? And go right to sort of like, yeah, so much Uh, of that. But but no, you're exactly right. So the, the more, the more diverse teams win, but only if there is psychological safety.
1: Are you enjoying meeting this guest? Are you thinking about what you care about? I recommend making it active. Think about what you could do, not just analyze and plan, not do what others tell you to but to live by your values. You'll enjoy your results. People will follow you more than you think, and you'll impact more than you expect. Go to com slash podcast for examples of what others have done. Yeah, that's... Oh, man, I could go into this because it feels like this is like
0: what's safety, safety spaces and all these. Yeah, that's not psychological safety, by the way. Like, Psychological safety is the actual idea of you know what we, we, we can hear someone else's point of view, separate that out from attack on us. we not judge that person when they say something that's different from us. We also know that we're not going to be judged when we raise an idea that is different from the norm, etc., that it'll be heard and considered and what have you. Um, this, this is safe spaces and there and there are definitely sort of. I don't want to go on this weird like rant that says I'm anti safe spaces, but like they can run the risk of turning into this is a safe space because you're not going to be exposed to anything that violates your perspective, and that is that's not safe in the long term, right? Because what you need is to learn the ability to uh, conflict resolution, to learn the ability to create, especially as a leadership skill, to create psychological safety among people who differ. And that's the only way you get into the genius. If I'm someone listening to this and thinking, "Yeah, I do. I should expand my horiz- not horizons. I should expand my network to include
1: people that I disagree with more, and get more diversity that way." But I am kind of nervous about these things happening. By- about safety. Am I right that the way to learn resilience and psychological safety and things like that is is to do this? Like, should if I'm cons- if I'm nervous, should I re- should that be reason to do this more or less? To to read your book and to, well, that was. <laughs>
0: well, every I mean, reason should, every reason should be a reason. Yeah. To be <laughs> <laughs> I mean, should no, I, I you, should I be, should that motivate me to do it? To expand my network? Yeah, I think in general. So, so, and, and, and I don't think, you know, this is where we get into, what are we defining as challenge? Like, I don't think you, you took a, a big challenge of like, Hey, there's this world of 63 million people and I don't know a single one of them. Right. So I want to go meet as many as I can. I don't think most of us need to start from that, and that's an idea that I think makes some of us nervous. Otherwise, we would have already had this resolved. And and by the way, like I'm looking at the current landscape and the landscape heading into fall 2018, and I'm thinking this we haven't figured this out. Like this is still like we haven't yeah. learned that lesson yet. But I think I think where you start is is smaller scale. I, what I coach a lot of people to do is to audit their network. So look at let's say the top two dozen people you interact with the most. Right. So go back through your phone records, email, text messages, social media, all of that sort of stuff, Um, even into like your meeting invites to see who you're meeting with if you want to do this in a work capacity and come up with a list of like, these are the 24, 25 people that I interact with the most. And then start seeking out where do they stand on this? Where do they stand on this? Where are they from? What's their you know what's the background? What's so you know all of the all of the traditional sort of I call them surface level indicators that are usually strong indicators of diverse opinions. So you know age, gender, race, ethnicity, etc. But then also political ideology, right? Um, Educational background—not just what did they study, but where did they study it? Ivy League versus state school versus community college. Those are going to create different ways of seeing the world. Figure out all of that for those people, and what you will probably find is that if you did a list of twenty-five, about fifteen to twenty of them are very self-similar to you. Right? They might look different because they've got this thing that makes it, but then ideologically they're not, or 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 vice versa. They might be ideological, but anyway, they're going to be very similar. You and then about five to ten are not going to be, and this is where I think the level most of us get to that, and we go, That's sort of sufficient. The problem is, is that with what the research says is like that over time, the, the it's not the diversity that compounds over time, it's the self similarity that compounds over time. So, you got to so keep working so, at it, so you've got to keep working at right. So, now you've got that list, now you know the five to ten people. You just the, the easiest place to start is. Keep them in your mind and make an intentional effort to spend a disproportionate amount of time with them, like with the talking with them, engaging with them, asking to meet people that are in their world, et cetera, and you sort of counteract the effects of this long-term, this network effect of homophily, that, that can be enough to start. And then I think by the time you get to the point where you're, you know, dr- driving through the rust belt, having conversations with people, or if you're in the rust belt, you're driving over to Chelsea and, you know, visiting uh-huh. uh, <laughs> a farmer's market or whatever, which I is going to the, the farmer's markets and market. the rust belts too. <laughs> oh yeah, I know that was actually about to say, that's what, that's, what's really funny is you'd be driving, the, <laughs> and then you're going to visit or smorgasburg, right? You're going to go visit that you drive from that those communities that that can happen eventually that's my point i think you start with who's in your current network and knowing that unless i do something intentional i'm going to tend towards self similar so i need to intentionally tend towards not
1: what you're making me think of is that even though it might sound to some people like this is you're suggesting something hard or difficult or challenging at least what you made me think about was like the rewarding growth horizon expanding things which I guess is what it's about. Like, you're not writing this book because you're like, oh, I did this thing, it's really hard, it's grueling. Now you do something hard and
0: grueling too. I think you're doing something that's
1: effective and you, you seem pretty happy about what you're doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the cold showers thing was pretty awful. <laughs> so I wouldn't go back to that. But no, I mean, I, I yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, What I kept struggling with is, I mean, this is a book about networking and I am not your stereotypical, well-dressed, slick back hair, knows everybody can walk into a restaurant and the maitre d' sits them by the window and blah, blah, blah type person on the other hand I deliberately live in a less populated city um, I deliberately live in a, a different part of the country than the one that I grew up in and one that makes it harder to um, to build out in the network to do what I want to do professionally especially if you don't fly but I do and yet I've managed to grow one that's sufficient I wouldn't say my own network is massive but it's sufficient and when I came' when I started looking into the research a lot of what I realized was that it's sufficient because I've accidentally been in line with what a lot of this research says. I'm, I'm not the pinnacle of any one example, but when you start to make them little habits and they happen to be in line with that, good things happen.
1: All right. I want to go back to the environment because for me, a big thing is I see, I, I think I understand what you said about uh, and, and correct me if I, if I say it wrong, but you saw this as an opportunity to grow and expand in a way because Josh is doing this stuff and Josh is doing different things and I can do something to, to expand my horizons in the direction that Josh is moving in or that Josh is in independent of me, is there, does the environment, is there something that the environment really means to
0: you? So, I mean, I would go back to my answer from the first episode too, which is, I mean, no, in the capacity of, I think she's a big planet. I think she can take care of herself. And if we screw it up and we all die um, has a tremendous capacity over a, a time scale that we're not capable of fathoming of repairing herself. She's going to be fine. We're the ones that are not going to be fine. So, like, I, I think I, I think what I said in the first episode was, I don't care about the environment. I, I care about people, mm-hmm. right? And so, if we're doing things that shape the environment that are making other people's lives harder, or that are making it much much less likely that we're going to be able to survive, that's a problem, right? And and I, so it, it's kind of weird because I think, especially when you think about the environment, like that that perspective, and that's I would say that's a that's an attempt to expand my horizons to understand one community and then understand. Um, another one. And, and when you get to that, you arrive at a place where you're like, we should probably simultaneously be looking at ways to conserve and ways to do less damage to the environment while we also look at ways to continue to thrive as a species in the environment we're about to inherit because of our choices today. Right. So like, so I'm, I'm just as interested in, uh, we're going to go back to this one cause it's the easy one. I'm just as interested in ways that we can reduce our carbon footprint as I am in ways that we can scrub carbon from the atmosphere and, or other ways that we can lower the overall temperature, um, without having to do that. Right. Because it's going to, whatever solution we arrive at is going to be both end anyway. And so what I try and remind myself is it's not about, we will never be able to take, the planet back to what it was ten thousand years ago intentionally by ourselves. If we're still here, what we can do is figure out okay, what's the optimal thing for us and for all of the other species, and then move towards that. And that's actually a both end. It's not a pure reduction, and it's not a pure sort of fancy innovation where we're all you know living in whatever you call that thing where you where, you know, like what Elon Musk wants to do with Mars, where you're trying to rebuild Terraform. Terraform, Right. Thank you. I don't know why I was, I mean, actually, I know why I was blanking on that. It's an incredibly difficult to remember word. (laughs) Um, It's going to be a sort of a mix of both ends. So, so, you know, I don't, I don't, like I said at the time, I don't, I don't necessarily care about the environment as much as I care about people and the ideas of like, Um, One of the other reasons I was attracted to water is like, it's, I interviewed Scott Harrison for the book and it's still, it boggles my mind that there's still hundreds of millions of people without access to clean water. That's a huge problem, right? That's an environmental problem and it's also a people problem and we need to solve it by attacking both uh, situations.
1: I want to try to rephrase the question in a way. And because what you were talking about was a pretty global perspective. We have to be able to figure out how to do on a social billion people, hundred million people scale. Yeah. I remember last time that I, th- I said I'm glad you connected it to people. So what if I asked it this way? Instead of do you care about the environment? Do you care about how your behavior affects other people when it's mediated through the environment?
0: Yeah. So yeah, the big the big realization to me in the in the book is that all of for all of the fun of six degrees of Kevin Bacon and six degrees of separation, we really are interconnected by probably less than six, approaching less than five introductions we are as we're one globe with 7.4 billion people strong and counting and there is a cascading effect to all of us we don't we don't win until all of us win right and and all of us meaning 7.4 billion people and so if yes i think there's a cognizance of our own actions sort of contribute to that whole and i think that's probably the only way we make lasting change on our own individual actions is when they're seen as you know this is probably the best thing uh, for everyone even if it means denial of self
1: is it something you think about and if so what like about how how your behavior affects other people when mediated through the environment because when it's not mediated through the environment you probably you, like you probably don't steal you probably don't murder you probably don't uh and you probably do help little ladies across the street that's like very
0: direct yeah i mean yeah, y- yes and no i mean so I, some of this is affected by where i am in life too right so i have a six-year-old and a four-year-old i've, I've already mentioned them the the primary lesson that you're trying to get into, and they're they're both boys in, in particular, the primary thing you're trying to do for preschool aged boys is convince them that if everyone acted the way they wanted to act, the world would be a terrible place. Right. I mean, we use fancy terms like socialization, but that's essentially what it is, is, is whatever your sort of initial and still stealing is one, right? Mugging the old lady down the street is one. Those are a little more salient, but they are just as relevant. I mean, even the idea of crime, like this is where we get into like broken window theory and all that sort of stuff. All of it resonates throughout the entirety of the network. And so the the weird thing to me about the environment is a little bit easier to get lost in the enormity of the situation, right? What's the old line about like two deaths is a tragedy and a million deaths is a statistic? right? It's easy to get sort of lost in that. The big realization for me, both raising them and, and sort of explaining to them that, you know, you need to act this way because it's in the best interest of the whole classroom that you're in. Not, it may not be. It may be. It's also in your best interest over the long term, but I know you really want to, you would much rather do this and, and what have you. It's, it's sort of the same way. The only difference is one might be a classroom of 20 kids. The other is a Globe of seven billion right. people, but it's still the same principle, Right, and so yeah, so mediated through, I, I I care about it in the same way that I care about all of the actions mediated through that network of 7.4 billion people. Well, I also think that for me, I'm not doing it. Just some Kantian perspective of you know how if everyone does it that way, also it's more delicious. I mean, <laughs> well, I I'm, assure you that cold showers are not more delicious. Yeah, and that, again, it, again, it, it, to to bring it all back, and maybe this is a good note to sort of wrap up on. Again, it goes back to in front of a friend with networking. The biggest problem is that we think about a network as ours, and we think about networking as something we do. And when in reality, the mental shift that we need to have is that we exist inside of a network, and how we act in that, and how we act, especially with intentionality, affects not just us but the whole network, and then we benefit because of the positive effects on that network.
1: It sounds kind of like a, a view I have on a lot of things in life. When things are beyond my control, is I think of surfing. Like I used to think of a lot of things as like chess, like. You know, you can't control a wave, but you can still have a great time on it if you don't try to control it. Yeah, well, totally. To wrap up, what I what I like to ask at the end is, do you have any message for? Well, two things. One is, is there anything I didn't think to bring up, and the other is any direct messages to the listeners, and it could be one answer for both.
0: Well, I guess the answer to the first question is I can't think of one. Um, I think we covered a lot of range of it, and and I think the direct message is is probably that one. Whether it's the whether it's the challenges or what have you, there are. There are challenges that have sort of that health benefit, and there's challenges that have a health benefit while also having a benefit to everybody else and, and you know, an internal versus an external. I guess my biggest lesson is all of us have a better life when all of us win. And I think that it's the, it's the same with networking, that you, um, you don't build your network, you don't grow your network, you don't have a network. Networking is not even something you do. You just exist inside of one and everything gets better when you start from that angle and you make it your goal to understand the network you're already in better and help that network grow in value. That value will inevitably spill over to you, but that's not the point. The point is it's the right thing to do.
1: I'm glad you closed with that because it's, it's, it really changed my view. I thought, okay, it's just a skill to improve that, but it's, it's looking at things in a, in a different perspective, a more broad perspective of understanding where you are. David, thank you very much. And, uh, if you ever come up with something else that you want to share, environmental, especially leadership, let me know. You're always welcome back and uh, talk to you again soon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I, uh, and when I'm in New York next time, I'll get to, get to try the vegetable stew.
1: People have listened to me a lot, probably picked up. I was indulging in a couple things in that one. One was the stuff on networks, because that to me was useful. I did not grow up being particularly effective at creating networks and things like that. I was referring to stuff from over 10 years ago that, I, that it related to. I hope that's useful to you as well. The other thing is you could probably tell that I was indulging myself towards the end and kind of fishing for something for him to share a value that I hadn't heard before so that he could find something to do that was based on a value of his not just exploring my world. It didn't come up so I didn't really push it. I don't find leadership where you're pushing for things particularly effective but you could tell I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it too. So thank you Dave. I have a feeling we'll see him again. Does hearing leaders acting on their values make you think of yours? Nothing will make you feel better than acting on them. Value means better. Acting on your values means improving your life. Committing publicly helps many people and builds community too. If you want, click on Commit to a Personal Challenge to share what you do with this community. You'll be a leader among leaders. We're more than a podcast. We're a movement to share how acting on environmental values means fun, joy, growth, and so on, not sacrifice or deprivation. If you want to join or help, contact me at josh.spodak.net or at joshuaspodak.com slash podcast. You'll grow as a leader, you'll enjoy yourself, and the world and your communities will thank you for it.